You're listening to the Recoveredish podcast. I'm your host, licensed therapist Amanda E. White. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm so excited because my friend and fellow social media therapist, I guess, friend <laughs> Allegra is here. Hi, Allegra Castens. So excited to be here. I'm so excited to chat with you and dig into what we're going to talk about today social media and intrusive thoughts and and all of that. But before we get into it, I know we were chatting before we started. Allegra, you are so authentic and honest about your own recovery from OCD. Um, So if people don't know, can you share a little bit about your story and how you kind of discovered you have OCD and your recovery and all of that? Yes. I basically at 19 years old, it was like my what I describe it as is my brain broke. Like I have this one intrusive thought and it just felt like it broke my entire brain. And from that point forward, I started having like 24 seven repetitive, unwanted, intrusive sexual thoughts about like kids, animals, family members. I mean, it was literally about everyone in my life. And it was such a terrifying experience because I went from never having these thoughts to having these thoughts literally all day, every day. Is that normal? Like with OCD, like that it just switches like that? So a lot of people have that experience and I'm actually going to get tested for this. I've never been tested, but typically when people have hands pandas or some kind of autoimmune condition that can contribute to like the rapid onset. I don't know if that's the case for me, but it was like literally in 0.2 seconds. And a lot of my clients have had that experience where you go from none of this happening to like my whole life has changed. That is so scary. Like, I really can't imagine that. I've been really open about sharing my addiction and my eating disorder, but it was always a very slow onset. So it wasn't that shocking to me as it escalated. So I can't imagine that's really hard. And especially I think the context of the thoughts that you had must have been so – like you must have dealt with so much shame. So much shame and there's so – Like there's not enough information about actual OCD. So when this happened to me, I just thought like this, like I knew it wasn't who I was. I knew that the thoughts terrified me, but I thought like there must be something really wrong with me because never in a million years would I have thought that this could be OCD. Like I didn't even figure that out until probably I'm going to say like 13 months into suffering literally all day, every day. And then I was so afraid to sleep because I didn't want to dream about the, so it literally was a 24 seven experience for me. And I didn't find out for 15 months and then still didn't believe that it could be OCD. Wow. Wow. And how did you end up finding treatment or finding a therapist that could help? I was really lucky in that like I was high functioning. I know some people don't like that term. I don't mean it like other people are low functioning, but I really functioned so well that it masked like everything that I was going through. So I was working in PR at the time in West Hollywood. And there were a couple of times where I would like leave the office to cry in my car because I was so anxious. And one of my colleagues saw that and she said that day, like, enough is enough. You're so anxious. I think you need to see a therapist. She called her therapist. He called me and then he found me a therapist. Oh, that's so great. I I love like when therapy works that way. And we yeah. actually get the help that we need. Right. Because I mean, I just don't think I would have. Yeah. And she wasn't even like the therapist I found wasn't an OCD specialist. And she was very upfront about that. So it's like there's that whole other layer. You could find a therapist, but maybe they don't specialize in addiction or eating disorders or OCD. And it's just not the right fit. 
Absolutely. Was it hard for you to talk super openly about this when you didn't have a therapist who specialized in OCD or had struggled with it themselves? Oh my God. It was, I was like the queen of doorknob disclosures. Now when clients do it, I fucking love it. Cause like that was me. She would like, she, luckily she understood it. She was the one who diagnosed me with it. It was like, it sounds like you're, but she, she was very honest in that. Like she didn't know how to treat it. But she like would say, you know, it sounds like you're having these scary intrusive thoughts. Like, do you want to share any of them with me? And I would go the whole session, like not saying a word. And then in the last like three minutes, I'd be like, da, 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 da. and then I would like run out of her door. And that went on for honestly, like years of seeing her because I felt such deep shame. Yeah. Yeah. I know for myself, like it was so crucial to, I mean, obviously, you know, everyone has their own preferences. You don't have to have a therapist who has gone through what you have. But I had so much shame about my bulimia because I was like, this is disgusting. This is gross, you know? So um, it wasn't until I found a therapist who was like, no, Amanda, like I smoked crack. Like I did this stuff. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. She's like, there's nothing you can say to me. I was like, okay, I'll slowly start to share some of this stuff with you. And that's why I love, like, I think self-disclosure can be so powerful. Obviously, if done in a way that benefits the client, but like me having OCD and my clients knowing has only helped them and it's only helped my practice. Like I could never be like a blank slate Freudian therapist. Like that's just not my thing. Yeah. No, me too. And I was just like, well, when I, you know, start my own practice, some people, it won't be for them, but this isn't for them. (laughs) And I smoked crack. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. You never know. Wow. Wow. So why don't you explain? Because I think people don't even understand what an intrusive thought is. So why don't you explain like the definition for some people? In, first of all, I want to say intrusive thoughts are not a trend. Like I feel like TikTok tries to make everything into a trend. Like an intrusive thought is ultimately an unwanted thought or mental image that distresses a person. Plain and simple. It's unwanted. You don't want to be having the thought. You do not want to act on it. And it is very anxiety provoking or uncomfortable. It's an odd thought that you wish you didn't think. And besides OCD, what else can people, what other mental health issues can someone have if they have intrusive thoughts? It's a great question. And like, ultimately, everyone has intrusive thoughts from time to time. Like that is something that everyone experiences. Like I'll always ask people, have you ever had a thought about like tripping the old man in the coffee store, like pushing someone in front of a bus or like a sex thought about your parents pops into your mind. Like that's just a thing that the brain does. But if you have OCD, it's like on steroids. Mm, That's so good to know because I have said that before that everyone has intrusive thoughts. And the other day I was like, maybe people don't. Maybe I should be more careful about that. I was just like, everyone has some thoughts that, like you said, like that you're going to punch someone in the face. A thousand percent. That like just doesn't align and – it can be as like, I know people with ADHD get intrusive thoughts, even with eating disorders, there can be intrusive thoughts. So it's, they're definitely not specific to the OCD diagnosis. They're just like, they stick so much more and they're so much more repetitive for someone who has an obsessive compulsive brain. Gotcha. Gotcha. Typically, right. People think of OCD as like cleaning, which is what are like the statistics, I guess, of like, what is most common for OCD? What is... Yeah. Can you talk a little about that? So like contamination obsessions are literally like a small sliver of 
the different ways that OCD can manifest, but it's basically like 98% of what we see in the media is contamination obsessions. And I might be biased because I'm so outspoken and I advocate a lot for taboo themes. In my practice, I can honestly say right now, I don't know that I have a single client that has contamination OCD right now that I'm seeing. I get like the pedophilia obsessions. What if I'm a pedophile? Violent obsessions. What if I snap and stab my spouse? Like, I think I tend to attract the more like taboo OCD. That's very, very common. It's not unheard of. We just don't talk about it enough. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's so good to know. And that's so good because I, I think all the time about how, I thought for so long I was my thoughts and how damaging that was for me. And I hate – and I think you did a recent post on this too. Like I think we got to get into the like the secret and the manifesting (laughs) and all that. (laughs) I can't. It's like the you are what you eat is like the most obnoxious thing. So is you are what you think. Like absolutely not. And this whole like – I could go on and on about manifesting. But like first and foremost, like – you can't just think something into existence. I don't care what people say. Like it just to like, I feel like it's such like a white people thing too, you know, and I'm speaking as a white person. Yes. So I we're two white therapists. If right. You don't know. <laughs> but I feel like it's such a white person thing. And I feel like it's so full of privilege that like, I could just think this thing and then I get the new job tomorrow. Like if manifesting in that way where all we had to do was think about it was real. Like would poverty exist? Would wars exist? Like if you want something to come true, you actually have to act on it. You have to move forward. You have to take action. But I feel like people think of manifesting as I think about it every day and I made it happen. Like that thoughts don't work in that way. Yeah. Right. And exactly like you said, I mean, just because you're thinking something over and over, like, I mean, that's where I can get frustrated a little bit with just like the basic therapy principles of CBT, right? Of like, that was something I really struggled with. Like, I know that it works for a lot of people. So we're not saying we hate CBT, but it didn't work for me because I felt like I had no control over my thoughts and the idea of like, I can change my thoughts and change my feelings. I've had lots of intrusive thoughts. I would have thoughts that I want to, you know, binge and purge or I want to drink or I want to do this or do that. And I didn't actually want to do that. And then I would have shame about thinking that and then feel shame that I thought that. And then, right, it can lead you to just be really demoralized in an addiction sort of situation because you're just like, well, F it. I'm just going to, you know, do the thing then if I'm If I feel bad anyway, I may as well. Right. And what you just said is so important because a lot of therapists who don't understand OCD or let's say even eating disorders will take a traditional cognitive therapy approach of let's challenge this thought. Let's change it. And that is compulsive in and of itself. And it makes people suffer more because the more that you fight with your thoughts and you try to neutralize them, the more of those very thoughts that you have. So with OCD, there's often like a metacognitive approach where you're thinking about your thinking. And that's what helped me when I got treatment like eight years ago or whenever it was, was learning that just because you're thinking something doesn't automatically mean that it's true. But like traditional CBT therapists often don't get that. And you also have to differentiate between like thoughts that happen to you versus active mental thinking, which like mental compulsions exist for people with OCD. You can stop a mental compulsion. You can choose to stop ruminating, but there's no way that you're going to say to your brain, just stop producing this unwanted thought. And it does. 
Yes. Yeah. So let's get into that because I think that's what people, right? People who I think say you can control your thoughts or your thoughts lead to your feelings get confused between an intrusive thought or a thought that's happening to you versus thinking. And I think because we're using, there isn't another word. It's all thoughts. Right. right? It's all thought. (laughs) It's hard to explain this. Mm -hmm. But I think, yeah, people also assume, right, with OCD that it always involves a physical compulsion. You're doing something. So what is a mental compulsion? A mental compulsion ultimately is you are actively choosing to mentally engage with an obsession. So it's an active thought process, which does differ from a thought that just pops into your mind. And the mental compulsion is like you're trying to solve the obsession in some way. So let's say the thought pops in like, what if you molest your child? And that's just like, it just pops in out of your control. The mental compulsion could be ruminating. Would I do that? Does that scare me enough? What would happen if I, like, that would be the mental compulsion. It's active. You are choosing to do that. And over time, I'm, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, right? Over time, just like a physical compulsion, does it, it makes you more obsessed with the thought or it makes it stronger. Is that correct? Yeah. It just reinforces to your brain that that thought is really important, that it's something we have to pay attention to when it's the exact opposite. Like there's actually a study. I have to find it and send it to you, but uh, yeah, we'll link it. In the show I notes. think it's about um, like perinatal, I think intrusive thoughts. And it basically said that I don't want to misquote, but it was something like mom's who have unwanted intrusive thoughts are less likely to harm their kids than people who like don't, which is really interesting because people who have like with OCD in particular, who have really scary unwanted thoughts, they are like performing compulsions all day long to make sure that nothing bad happens. It's the exact opposite from someone who desires it. Yes. Which is so helpful too, right? With like breaking down the stigma and all of that, because I'm sure People with OCD who say that they have, you know, these mental compulsions are called like horrible things or are afraid of being exposed and all the shame that comes with that. Like I feel like I've seen on your Instagram, unfortunately, like very uninformed people saying really ignorant things. I mean, it's like Becca, I don't know if you've ever watched The Bachelor, but Becca Martinez reposted an article like I wrote about like what is pedophile OCD for very well mind and she reposted it and she got so much shit. People saying things like you're a pedophile. How disgusting is this? Because people aren't getting that an obsession, like an unwanted thought is literally it's ego dystonic. It's the exact opposite of who you are. And then it doesn't help that in our society and I do it too. So I'm not like demonizing it. We say obsessed when we like something. Like I'm obsessed with, I don't know, whatever it is. Dom Gabriel, I am. Um, (laughs) In a healthy way. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That feels good. No, I'm not actually obsessed. But we use that word. And so then when people say like, I have a sexual obsession, society thinks that means like, I really like thinking about sex. When for OCD, it's like, no, my brain keeps like thinking this thing that I would like rather die than carry out. Mm, that's so interesting. Yeah, that's – yeah, I mean, I think that the most intensely – I mean, I struggled with intrusive thoughts like through my addiction and my eating disorder. But yeah, I relate to what you said about like the perinatal and stuff like that because yeah, when I was pregnant, I've talked about this on my podcast, I had such intense suicidal ideation when I first got pregnant And it was very illogical. Like I knew it was an intrusive thought compared to like actual suicidal ideation, 
or suicidality because it wasn't logical. Like it didn't make sense. Like I was happy that I was pregnant. I was like, I wanted to be pregnant, but I kept having these really intense thoughts that I should kill myself, which is just so strange. Or like, it's very common. I know when you have, when you give birth and you're in, you know, postpartum that you just, I had intrusive thoughts all the time of like dropping my baby accidentally, like killing my baby, pushing her, you know, like so much. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, very much unwanted thoughts. Yes. And like what you just described, like there's a nickname for that. It's called suicidal OCD. I'm not like diagnosing you or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Some people really do like their primary obsession is what if I kill myself? And it's literally the last thing that they want to do. And that's what differentiates it between like from suicidal ideation or someone who's actually suicidal. My clients with suicidal OCD are literally throwing away their knives. They're not leaving the house. Like it's killing themselves is like the last thing that they would want to do. It's so strange how it's, it's, I think too, maybe what's really hard for people to understand is it seems so random, like, like what your brain picks to obsess over. Like, is there any trauma that's ever linked to it or any connection at all we know of? Definitely. Like trauma can contribute to the onset of OCD. Trauma can contribute to why we believe an obsession, even though we know it's like the scariest thing ever, why we might buy into this could be real. And like, yes, I think that like the brain can latch onto things. But I do think for many people like OCD can be selective and often attacks what we value, or it latches onto like vulnerable things that we think and feel about ourselves. For instance, like I love kids more than anything in the world. At three years old, I knew I wanted to be a mom. Like I knew that I was born to be a mom. And it doesn't surprise me that like this is my obsessional theme. I've never given a shit about contamination. I don't care about (laughs) suicide. I don't care about death. I don't have trouble driving. Like this is my theme. And I think it's because I love kids so much. It's the most abhorrent thing. But then I also think that like trauma from childhood gave me that core belief of like, I'm bad and OCD kind of like reinforces that in a sense. So like, I don't think obsessions are always random. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. I'll get shit for that. A lot of OCD therapists will say the content doesn't matter. It's all random. And I also really disagree. I think that like the content matters in terms of shame and stigma. Like I could go in and easily say I'm struggling with contamination obsessions For me to go in and say, I'm worried I'm a pedophile, like those are just two different things. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure in terms of like your brain function and what pops into your head, it like you could argue that it's random, but absolutely the shame level that keeps you stuck. I mean, I think shame is so important. And it's also, I think, really interesting with contamination OCD because our culture almost like really hyper values cleanliness. Like we love it. (laughs) Right. No, absolutely. And that's like different, but what can make eating disorder treatment so hard is like we live in a world that literally praises thinness and values thinness. Whereas like the worst thing in the world that you could be is a pedophile. So having obsessions, having scary thoughts, like what if I'm a pedophile? Like, yes, it might not matter in terms of treatment of like how we treat OCD, but it does matter in terms of shame, stigma, those things can get in the way of treatment. And it matters in terms of like accessing treatment to begin with. Yeah, absolutely. Well, exactly like you said, I think, I mean, truly until, I mean, I have my clinical director, Gabby, um, she is like an OCD specialist and is 
you probably follow her. You guys follow each other. So I know a lot about OCD from her. And she was the one that was like, we have to do ERP. Like no one is doing like talk therapy with OCD clients. And she like helped do a big part of that in, in our practice. So I know a lot more about OCD just because of her, but the average therapist even, I don't think understand, like really between you and Gabby, those are the only real reasons that I really know this level. I actually listened to a podcast a while ago, like Invisibilia. I don't know if you've ever heard of that podcast. Oh, I got sent that. That's how, where I first heard about this because it's a great way of, I used to share it with like, they did a lot of good content in that episode about talking about thoughts and how you're not your thoughts and stuff. But yeah, I just think exactly what you were saying is the average person, I think, who has sexual thoughts, pedophile thoughts, any of these thoughts that they don't want that are unwanted are not going to think that they have OCD. And until they tell someone, they're not going to be able to have access to treatment then. Right. And then you might run the risk of telling someone who doesn't get it. Like a lot of people with suicidal obsessions have been like put on a 5150, even though they're saying, I'm not going to kill myself. It's just this scary thought that pops in. Like you run the risk of a therapist saying like, are you a pedophile? Because so many therapists don't understand OCD. We don't get taught anything about it in grad school or we get taught shit that's wrong, which is what happened to me. Mm, What were you taught in grad school that was wrong? So I did this whole presentation about OCD. I talked about mental compulsions and I had this professor that interrupted my presentation and said, rumination would be the obsession because it's a thought, not the compulsion. It's like, I literally am living with OCD, babe. I've worked at UCLA's IOP. Like, I know what this is. Like, rumination is the compulsion. And he just kept arguing with me. And, like, arguing with me in front of, like, 40 other students who, like, could have learned from this. Yeah, I wrote a paper once in grad school about, like, the I was doing research on, like, the positives of self-disclosure. And I got, like, a horrible grade on it. And they were like, <laughs> never use self-disclosure. <laughs> you look at my Instagram account and it's, like, game over. Yeah. <laughs> We're like, do your clients know you have OCD? I'm like, well, the chances are probably. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Do. Yeah. So yeah. So I guess another way of saying the rumination, right, is a thought like we were talking about, right? The difference in a mental compulsion is the rumination is you're thinking that over and over again. And it's active. Like you are literally choosing to do that. It's not happening to you. It can feel habitual. That's for sure. But like you are actively like, let's say a thought pops in, the sky is blue. I start to go, is the sky blue? How do we know it's blue? Like I am actively doing that. Which is very like evidence, right? Like that is what we're talking about when we say that when you're fighting against these intrusive thoughts, they get stronger because if you start saying, I'm going to collect evidence that the sky is blue, right? That intrusive thought is going to then have evidence about it, you know, being the opposite. You're feeding into it. It's kind of like when you give a dog a treat and then it comes back the next day and you give it another treat and it's like the dog just keeps wanting more. Same with OCD. So for people that are struggling with, I mean, besides seeing an OCD therapist, if they have OCD, (laughs) but like the average person, let's say, who has some intrusive thoughts, who tends to ruminate a lot, What is your recommendation for them? Number one, doing your best to allow unwanted thoughts to exist because so often we want to fight with them, try to figure them out. And ultimately, if you recognize that like this is something that I'm not desiring, this is something that I don't want to happen, like can we disengage from thinking about that? Like if we know that that's something we don't want to do, why do we have to ruminate about that? 
Yeah. And what do people sometimes say in response when they're like afraid? It's so like, it's so different because when you have OCD, your brain is just like on fire. And when your brain is really like malfunctioning and the fear center of your brain is on overdrive, it can be hard to access logic. Yeah. You know, and and clients will often say it feels irresponsible to not perform the compulsion. I must make, you know, I must be absolutely certain So it's really at first looking at like why the client is buying into this obsession. And if we can like demystify that and show them that like this reasoning isn't accurate, it can help resist the compulsions. Gotcha. Yeah. And I think that I always think about how this is really important if you are struggling with actual OCD and some really intense thoughts, right? To see someone like you, to see an OCD expert who can – because they know, right, how to systematically – work up and not just go from, I think sometimes we think with exposure therapy that you just do the last thing first. And it's, if you want to, can you explain a little bit about how it works? Yeah, totally. So exposure and response prevention is like the frontline treatment for OCD. It entails exposing yourself gradually to feared stimuli and then simultaneously cutting out compulsions. And like, we're not doing illegal things. I think if people think about like exposures for like pedophile obsessions, like we're not molesting children, like an exposure often is what somebody else is doing in everyday life. It's just really hard for the person with OCD. Like I might have my client if like on a scale of one to 10 on their hierarchy, a level five is changing their baby's diaper, we might have them change the baby's diaper, and then not mentally review afterwards to make sure that they didn't do anything that could be an exposure. If somebody has like hit and run obsessions and they're so afraid of hitting someone while driving, the exposure might be driving down the streets. So it really often is like things that other people are doing, but it feels so triggering for the person with OCD. Right. Because the person with OCD, it is impairing their daily life and impairing their functioning. So it's not like you need to go out of your way and write the classic example of if you're afraid of snakes, go be in like, you know, a a room of snakes. Like you don't have to be able to do that because you're not going to run into a room of snakes on an average day. Absolutely. So yeah, looking at like what's values based in terms of exposures and looking at how can we get this person functioning again? Like if they've thrown out all their knives and they can't cook, we're going to buy knives and we're going to start utilizing those again and help you learn that this is an obsession. What other TikTok or social media trends and things do you see that makes your skin crawl a bit that we can kind of demystify for people? I actually have one that I saw last night. I'll I'll do that last because it's like not on the topic of intrusive thoughts, but the intrusive thoughts are your intuition. That one is so obnoxious. Like intuition is a calm sense of knowing, whereas intrusive thoughts are so anxiety provoking and unwanted. And that tends to be like people's big fear with intrusive thoughts is like, is this my psyche like telling me something about myself? Is it my subconscious? No, it could literally just be an unwanted thought. Or the I let my intrusive thoughts win. Just that trend where people are like, oh, I thought about McDonald's and I went to McDonald's and I I let that intrusive thought win. No, it sounds like you desired going to McDonald's and you drove there. Like people don't act on their intrusive thoughts, you know, like they're unwanted and distressing. That is literally the last thing someone would want. Yeah, that's such a good point. It matters so much because if I'm over here talking about like unwanted sexual and violent thoughts and then Susie on TikTok is like, I acted on my intrusive thoughts. 
people are going to think that people with OCD who get a lot of intrusive thoughts are out there stabbing people and like pushing them in front of buses. And that's just not accurate. Yeah. Right. Exactly. All their compulsions, like you were talking about, like the mentally reviewing, doing all these things. Literally trying to make sure it doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, The intuition and the intrusive thought stuff too, like that bothers me so, so much. And just, I think I thought for so long that I don't know if I thought for sure they were my intuition, but I thought it was very important to listen to them. I was very like, I am my thoughts. I had no, like learning the concept of cognitive fusion, right? That you can get like stuck to your thoughts completely changed my life because before that I would just go around feeling terrible if I thought about punching someone in the face or anything. Right. It's like we're taught that like every thought means something and that we are our thoughts and that it's really important. And we have so many thoughts a day, like literally thousands of thoughts a day that just don't matter that aren't like, I could literally think right now that the sky is green. It's not like, it's literally just a thought. So this idea that like they're important and they mean something is just like, it feels so Freudian and it feels so inaccurate. It just really disconnects you with, at the end of the day, I'm really a big believer in like we were talking about what really matters is like the action you're taking, the values you have, yes. how you move forward. That's how change happens. I mean, the funny thing I think too is anyone who feels like manifesting works, it worked probably for you in some way because you took the action of like writing something down, making a plan, then taking the action on it. Maybe the writing of it down and the thinking about it helped make it less scary. It helped you make a plan. And then you moved through it. It wasn't just because you had a random thought pop into your head that then you created it. Right. Or like, I'm just going to think about this for 30 minutes and it's now more likely to come true. That scares people who have unwanted thoughts of like any mental health condition where it's like you have the thoughts all day. My clients will say, well, I have these scary thoughts like for seven hours a day. Does that mean I'm like really manifesting them now? No, you could think the same thought for your entire life and it doesn't come true. Just wanted to pop in here really quick and share that now that summer is officially over, it is a great time to get back into therapy or to start therapy for the first time. My practice therapy for women has licensed therapists in 27 states across the country, or if you're local to the Philadelphia area, we have a few offices for in-person therapy as well. I'm also so excited to share that we have officially launched Therapy for Kids, which is our sister practice, and we will serve kids ages five and up. We have specialized pediatric therapists who can't wait to meet your kids, who also can support your family with parent coaching and family therapy if you live in the Pennsylvania area. Learn more at therapyforkidscenter.com. Well, does that also get into, I was thinking about how there's like these subtleties of kind of like magical thinking, right? Of Yes, yes, yes. Right? Of like people who, I mean, and I fall into this sometimes, especially when my mental health isn't right. I'm like, please. (laughs) Right? Like, well, if I do this, this won't happen, right? Or if I, I don't know, this is what's coming to my mind. If I have a will for my baby, then I won't die, right? Like something like that. But that's. We, and we, I think, just accept that as kind of true, and that is actually magical thinking. That is exactly it. It is magical thinking. And, like, I want to respect people's spirituality. I really do. And like, I think there can be a place for spirituality. But if you are sitting around saying, if I think this thought, the bridge is going to collapse, like, I'm sorry, that is what the Gen Zers would call Delulu. 
And, <laughs> and, that is, and that is, it's magical thinking. You think that having a thought is connected to this thing in the real world when it's not connected in any real way. Or like if I knock on this glass right here, then a million dollars is going to pop down. Like winning a million dollars and knocking on the glass are not related at all. It's magical thinking. Right. And then that means that the reverse is true. If we think that something won't happen because we think something, that's also magical. Oh my gosh. This freaked me out in terms of like dating because I get so afraid. Like I haven't talked about it a lot, but like I have so much anxiety that I'll never meet someone. And I think it like mixes with my OCD and like takes over. I got like pulled into like the finding the one book. Oh my God, it terror or calling in the one, not just finding. I, I had to throw it away. I lost my damn mind. It's like your beliefs matter. And if you're thinking about this, it's not going to happen for you. That's also not the case. There are so many people who have so much fear about meeting someone and they happen to meet someone. So like, just because you're worried that you're not going to meet someone or you're worried that X, Y, and Z doesn't mean that you're like making it happen or not happen. Oh, that is so true. I forgot about that stage of my life as well. I remember taking courses and doing things. And I mean, I think it's so damaging too. all of the right, like the perfect person will show up when you're like ready for them and stuff. And again, we respect people's spirituality. If it, my whole thing is if, if thinking a certain way supports you, think it. I don't care. You know, like if it's empowering to you to feel like if you do the work on yourself, the right person will show up. That's great. But I think for a lot of people, it can feel like, oh my God, I need to be perfect. I can't ever be with someone until I'm ready. The universe is holding me, the person hostage, and they're going to come and right. blah, blah, blah. And it feels so like victim blaming as well. It's like, if you haven't met someone, it's something that you're doing. And it's like, I hate the whole, like, I've worked on myself and that's what helped me find someone. I have so many clients in my office every single day who are working on themselves and have trouble finding someone. I just feel like it's a lot of luck. It's a lot of who gets put in front of you. And like, you just can't chalk that up to like, I've done the internal work. It feels like spiritual narcissism almost. Mm. Oh, that is so interesting. Yeah. of Like I'm holier than thou because I've done this therapy and I was open and this person came to me like, shut the fuck up. I hate that. <laughs> I literally yeah. hate that because then it's like yeah. the people with anxiety. I'm like, wait, am I not open? Should I be calling him in? Should I be? And it's like, I can't do this. I threw the fucking book away. Yeah, because I think a lot of it, right? Like, of course, yes, doing the work can, doing therapy can help you be more open. It can help you identify your values. Identifying that can be helpful. But yeah, like a lot of how people find their person is like sheer numbers of dates. Yep. They go on if they're online dating. I mean, you know, we can look at it like 20 years ago. A lot of it was where you lived and who you got into contact with. Right. Yeah, no. Were you like, did you have dating anxiety or no? Oh, yeah. I had so much dating anxiety. I bought like, I don't know. I think he's still around. Matthew Hussey. Do you know who that is? (laughs) Oh, my God. So you bought something from him? I did. I bought his like book. I bought his course. I have so been there. Yeah. Like he he has some good nuggets. I'll give him some of his good nuggets. I think we're just like practice saying hi to people like at a coffee shop and things like that so you can get a little bit better or ask a guy for a favor so that you can, you know, he can like have a conversation with you. But yeah, I think 
at the end, I mean, that's where it's so hard with, right, the concept of everything happens for a reason. I think that I can think about that in terms of I've made meaning out of what happened to me, right? Like I went through this and now it's empowering for me to think about how I can use that to be a therapist and do, right, like advocacy work, for example. But I don't necessarily think that that was like preordained or happened to me. And I think that's what we need to be careful of is believing everything happens for a reason is something you can believe, but that's your choice. And you can't like, you can't put that on other people. Right. No, I, I so agree. And it feels like the whole, like the other TikTok trend I was thinking about is like, I think it was therapy Jess posted about like post-traumatic growth and how trauma can like make you into this wonderful, resilient person. And I feel like that falls under the like, everything happens for a reason. And I do think that like you can grow from things, but I don't think that like a God or the universe gave me OCD so I could help people. I think that I went through this thing. I was really resilient, not because I had OCD, but because I like was able to go through that and survive. And now I help people. But I don't think that that was some like God's plan situation. And I don't think you need to find a silver lining. I don't think you need to have like post-traumatic growth. Right. I think that's where if it's supportive for you, if it feels like it's in a, a great context, awesome. But yeah, that's where I think it is really unhelpful to put that on other people because yeah, the people that then don't feel like they're better because of their trauma, that's like, that's so terrible to feel that way. Right. It feels so like hopeless almost like, wow, there must be something wrong with me that I wasn't able to take this trauma and like turn it into a rainbow. I think it's so like demoralizing to to think that like if you haven't found like a silver lining in your trauma that something's wrong with you. Yeah, absolutely. And I hope people who are listening understand. I mean, my whole thing about this podcast is it's extremely nuanced. I always kind of preface everything by being like, you know, there aren't lots of hot takes here. I can give a caveat or a different, you know, if you believe something that I'm that we're not talking about, like please understand that this is just our perspective and we're not making anyone wrong if you want to believe that. I think we just come from the place of seeing clients who are really disempowered by these things, disempowered by these TikTok trends and feel a lot of shame for not growing, not being in a relationship, and that's what we're really speaking to is you don't deserve your trauma. You didn't get it for a reason. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you don't like grow into this like super wonderful person who now saves lives, like that's okay too. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's so interesting. What is your, what are your thoughts on affirmations? Oh, that's a good question. I know that there are some people who say that affirmations are really helpful. I've never been an affirmation person. I think sometimes people with OCD can use affirmations compulsively. But in general, I think for people who have had trauma, affirmations can almost feel triggering if you don't believe the affirmation. Like if you're sitting here going, I'm a wonderful, valued person, or I am loved, I am loved, and you're not like connecting to that, it can almost feel like you're gaslighting yourself. So I just think it really depends on the person. Yeah, that is my like beef with it. It's just that when I used it, when people used to tell me to do affirmations, I really struggled with it because like, I was, no. <laughs> it made my thoughts stronger in yeah. some ways because it felt like almost a compulsion that I was doing to try to make myself feel better. Or if I, if I often had a thought that I like hated myself, which I did in my addiction. And I don't know whether it was intrusive 
or not, but it it was kind of how I felt. But I would try to say these affirmations to make that thought go away. And as a result, it ended up just creating this kind of angel devil struggle situation. And I think it really matters, like you said, like if if that is happening for you, ch- consider changing the affirmation to something that does feel a lot more in alignment with you. Right. Like I am safe or like something that's not like I am the best person ever when you just don't believe that. Yes. Because yeah, then you can come up with reasons why you don't believe it and why you're not. And then you can kind of spin down that. stuck in the spiral. Yeah. That rabbit hole. But what I will say also is like in terms of TikTok, there are so many coaches and like unregulated, unlicensed people saying things like, please do not believe everything that you see on TikTok. Like I saw this one and I stitched it of this like dating coach saying, if you're texting someone a lot early on, they're love bombing you. It's like, no, some people just connect early on and have that flow of communication. Like, like everything is so black and white on TikTok. Everyone's a narcissist. Everyone is love bombing. Everyone is toxic. So I would just say like really think about like who you're getting this information from. Absolutely. I mean, I can say that I I and my husband both definitively love bombed each other <laughs> like at the beginning of our relationships. Wait, so. that's amazing. We were very both like, are you sure? Are you sure? Like, because we were both so like available and really into each other and everything. And Wait, that's so sweet. Like we said, I love you pretty quickly. And and I was so afraid at the beginning because I was like, okay, I have to follow these steps, right? I have to like play this game, do these steps right to make sure X and Y happens. And, you know, obviously this is nuanced. And if you are someone who jumps into relationships extremely quickly, it may be healthy for you to practice slowing down. But I also think it's your life. It's your relationship. If it works for you, it works for you. And like, that's right. especially like we were both authentic about, you know, we're really into each other and we I didn't need to that. play games and it doesn't work it, for everyone, but it worked yeah. for us. Like the whole, how to make someone fall in love with you oh, and yes. play the game. Like all of that shit on TikTok just destroys people. Yeah. Yeah. When you see it with clients, how do you, how do you see it manifest when people feel like come in and talk about these trends on TikTok with you. What I've seen now is like some clients saying like, am I a narcissist? Am I a love bomber? Am I like this worry that they're like a walking red flag or that the like the person there's no nuance. So they'll say something like, well, the person that I'm newly dating, like texted me three times today. Is he love bombing me? And I have to do so much psychoeducation about like, that's not like love bombing is a form of manipulation. Like there's so much gray here. Yes. Yes. That was something I did a boundaries episode about after like the Jonah Hill texts came out and it broke my heart. How many people reached out to me and said, oh my God, if I tell my mom that I don't want her to talk about my body, am I being manipulative? Am I controlling her? And I was like, oh my gosh, no. That, okay. So that, I feel like that is what so many people confused with like the Jonah Hill situation, but like saying, please don't talk about my body is different than like, you can't go out and do this thing that you love. Yes. I mean, there were also, right, it was more nuanced because they're also in a relationship. There are agreements in a relationship that you make. If you switch the agreements on someone, that's a that's not a boundary conversation. That's like a consent conversation. I, I totally agree too, because some people are like, what said something like, 
well, I tell my partner that like he can't cheat. Am I manipulating him? And it's like, no, it sounds like that was like the agreement that both of you made. You're not a manipulator because you said like, I can't be in this relationship if you cheat on me. It's so freaking nuanced, but I feel like people, yeah, it just, it scares everyone. Yeah. Well, that's, I think, right, some of the issue with there's a reason, right, in grad school when you go to school to become a, ther- a therapist, they tell you that you're going to read, you know, the DSM and you're going to think you have every single diagnosis or other people will. And that's out of context why this is complicated and it's why that's some of the issue with so much therapy content and speak out there. Yeah, no, for sure. And I feel like coaches think they're therapists and it's just like, The waters are so muddy at this point. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So we're going to get into some questions. I think you'll definitely be able to answer them. One person says, how do I not let intrusive thoughts change my perception of something? That is really difficult. Uh, I think like, because if you're someone who gets pervasive, repetitive, intrusive thoughts for me, like I can't lie and say that they never changed me thinking about having kids. Like it saddened me so much that because my thoughts scared me so much, I like almost like just, it was like, I just, I can't be around a kid. I can't like it did in a sense mess with that like desire. But ultimately when you're doing the treatment work and you're understanding, like this is literally the exact opposite of who I am. You can take those values based actions and move forward in that way. Like let your values guide you instead of your unwanted thoughts And I I just can't say that like an unwanted thought will never alter your perception of something like people who have wild intrusive thoughts while driving, like they're scared of driving. Now that doesn't mean that like they think that they're a person that's going to go kill someone on the road. Right. Well, that's where too, like you said, some of that action of you kind of build confidence with yourself, the more you practice it. And don't let the intrusive thoughts win in that way. Like we don't live our life according to what they're saying. We live a life of our values. Love that. Love that. Someone said, well, I guess, I mean, we kind of talked about this. Someone asked, why do they happen? Do we know why? Like, is there a neurochemical? Do we know why intrusive thoughts happen? I don't even know like the exact science of it, you know, but I I just think it's probably just like a brain phenomenon. Yeah. I know someone said like postpartum that there is something with hormones and some things like that. Yeah. So I'm definitely, and then like if you look at someone with OCD who maybe had pants pandas, that like autoimmune stuff probably triggered that. But I don't know like the exact science of like why it happens to everybody. I mean, it feels like your brain is kind of just like short circuiting a little bit. <laughs> yes, it feels like your brain is literally malfunctioning. And you're like, can you not fucking do that thing? Yeah. Like, no, I'm going to do that more. <laughs> yes. Yes. Someone said, I hate the quote, how you are your thoughts. Can you explain why that's not true so I could tell someone that? Oh, I love that. We aren't our thoughts. Like we have so many thoughts that just aren't true, that don't reflect our values, our desires. And like our thoughts are not the things. Like thoughts are not actions and thoughts are really just words in in our mind. Like we are our soul and our personality and the way we interact with others and our values and our actions. Like I could have the word hamburger replay in my mind all day long. And like, does that mean that like I'm a hamburger now? Right? Like, (laughs) Oh my God, I love that. (laughs) It doesn't make any sense. And then it's also like, I would say 
we also have judgments and it doesn't mean that because we have a judgment thought about someone that we're going to now go and say that to them. Like we really are our actions. And even that, like we're not one action that we've taken, like we're a whole person outside of that, but like thoughts are words in your mind and like, that's what they are. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Someone says that they struggle with catastrophizing about never being healed. Do you have any advice for them? That's such a tough one for sure. I know a lot of people feel that way of like, what if this goes on forever? I would say try to stay in the moment, like really stay in the present moment because thinking about what if this never ends is like kind of irrelevant because we're not in the future. We're not at that point. So how can we stay in the now and not buy into the imagined possibility, the imagined scenario that it could be bad forever? Because the irony is like buying into that is keeping you stuck in the now. Well, I think that's what's so hard about this is Mm -hmm. all of this is so like antithetical to what you think you should do. A thousand percent. Like if I have a scary thought, I should push it away. Exact opposite. No, you should allow it to exist. So much of it feels counterintuitive to what we've been taught. Yeah. And that's why, right, intrusive thoughts are different than, you know, another Right. Then me saying I desire going to McDonald's. Like I want to do that. It's a desire. Intrusive thoughts are not. And I mean, right, we could unpack all of that with like diet culture probably too that, right, like maybe this person incorrectly thinks this is an intrusive thought because they think that they should never want to go to McDonald's. That's that's exactly it. Right. Instead of like, yeah, that might be a desire of yours. It's a desire of most people. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever think intrusive thoughts are repressed thoughts or what do you think about repression? That is such a triggering word, I think, for people with OCD, you know, because ultimately, if we look at the definition of an intrusive thought, it's like an unwanted thought. And like, yes, people cannot want something like someone could say, I don't know, let's say Jeffrey Dahmer were to say, well, I don't want to be having these thoughts about killing people, but like, I really enjoy acting on them. So like that still is egocentric because he's saying like, I enjoy this. It aligns with what I would like to do. Right. Even though I shouldn't like to do this because of society. Right. I think when people think about like repression, you might think about like, well, what if I'm having unwanted thoughts about my sexual orientation? Does that mean that I'm gay and I'm just lying to myself? Or does that mean that I'm not gay and I'm lying to my wife? Whatever it might be. But like intrusive thoughts are, are unwanted. I just, I don't necessarily see how it could be something that you're repressing because something that you're repressing is probably something that like does align with you, even if you don't want it to align with you. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think, I think it's interesting. I wonder if, especially in like spiritual communities, I don't really work with people like this, but I wonder if in spiritual communities, there is almost like gender OCD or sexuality OCD. I don't know. Is that? Oh yeah. People's like OCD can absolutely latch on to sexuality. Like a lot of, like I'll have a lot of gay clients and they'll have like the repetitive unwanted thought of like, what if I'm not actually gay and I've been lying to everyone or I have trans clients who will say, like, I really want to transition. I want to medically transition and do this surgery, but I can't stop having the thought that says like, what if you don't want this? When they're literally saying to me, like, I want nothing more than this. Yes. And in those cases, is your suggestions, like, go back to your values, go back to, like, your actions? Right. As with any other OCD theme at the end of the day. Because if it's, like, gender identity obsessions and the person is saying, I really want to transition, but I'm having these scary thoughts, 
Well, what's aligning with you is that you want to transition and your intrusive thoughts are ego dystonic. They're unwanted and they don't align with your self-concept. We're not going to listen to those. Ego dystonic, yes, is it does not align with your self-concept. It's so opposite to your values, your beliefs, what you know of yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And then we'll do one more. Someone said, when are intrusive thoughts generalized anxiety and when are they OCD? Also a really great question. So there are some people who say that generalized anxiety and OCD are the same. I don't think that they're exactly the same. I don't. And I think that with generalized anxiety, we often see the worry is fixed, is like focused on something that is happening in the real world. The worry is excessive, but like you're worrying about a problem in your relationship or about finances or your work. And it's like a real life concern. And yes, you might be ruminating. Yes, you might be performing mental compulsions. It tends to be more real life. And like there often is uncertainty involved with like generalized anxiety. You know, like I can't tell someone that their partner is never going to break up with them. OCD tends to be more like it tends to be more irrational in the sense of like I'm having this obsession that is not based in reality whatsoever. It really is like there's obsessional doubt involved. Like you are doubting what you know. So it's like generalized anxiety could be about, you know, I don't know, your relationship and which also OCD can latch onto. So it complicates things. But OCD would be more like, what if I go out and murder people tonight when I literally like it's it's so irrational and bizarre. Yeah. No, that's really that's really powerful and I think really, really important and makes a lot of sense, I think, in terms of even when I've shared about having some like postpartum intrusive thoughts and stuff like that, people have been like, oh, well, do you have OCD? And I've been like, I don't think so. And I think to me, it made very much sense because I had a baby <laughs> and I loved her so much and I didn't want to like, you know, have something bad happen to her, but it was very connected to having a baby versus random. Right. Of. Yeah. And like, there's definitely differences too. And like, I think that like, OCD can be resolved because it's so often irrational. Like I can know that I'm not a pedophile. My client can know that they're not going to go violently harm someone. That's not what they desire. Whereas like generalized anxiety, you might have to lean into the uncertainty a bit more. And you often really see like rumination as the primary compulsion. Whereas with OCD, there's like a wide variety of compulsions. None of this is, I want to say also, none of this is like black and white set in stone. You can have intrusive thoughts with generalized anxiety and OCD. Yeah, that makes sense. What about when someone, because I think one thing I've struggled with with clients is sometimes we have to think through something with anxiety, but it also feels very like ruminating and very like we don't want to think about it. I mean, I think there's a difference, right, between ruminating and thinking through something, but how do you explain that to someone? Yeah. So problem solving is like, if there's actually something in front of you that needs to be solved, like we have here and now evidence that there's a problem at hand, let's think it through. But people with OCD or even any other, you know, anxiety disorder, whatever, often ruminate about things that aren't happening. It's like an imagined problem, an imagined possibility. And it like ruminating does nothing for you, but make you more anxious. So like, what if my plane crashes? Let's say I'm going on a trip in two weeks. I don't know. And I'm afraid my plane is going to crash. If I'm sitting here ruminating, that's literally doing nothing for me. It's not going to make the plane crash or not crash. 
But if I get an email that says your flight has been canceled, I'm probably going to have to problem solve and think about how I can solve that. Like it makes sense to think about it. Love that. That is such a good explanation. Well, thank you so much, Allegra, for taking the time and for chatting with me. You're so welcome. I loved it. Me too. So tell everyone where they can find you and we'll link everything in the show notes. Amazing. So at Allegra Castens on Instagram and TikTok. And you're in New York. And if anyone is local to New York and looking for an OCD therapist yes. or eating disorder therapist, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I see clients in person via telehealth as well. Well, thank you so much. And we'll have to have you come back for maybe the next TikTok trend that (laughs) that goes viral. (laughs) That's amazing. All right. bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. To suggest an episode topic or support my work, visit amandaewhite.com. If you're interested in getting therapy from my practice, visit therapyforwomencenter.com. We're based in Philadelphia, but we have therapists serving 27 states across the country. 